we have to find, we have to look at why these systems are not working. We have to look at, at all of these things that incentivize corruption and incentivize confusion in the world. And it, it doesn't take a, a, a genius to, to figure out new systems, but the, the reality is, Paul, is they don't want new systems no, because they don't. they don't want it to work. They don't want to solve climate change. They don't want to solve all these problems. They, they don't want to solve cancer. They don't want to solve a pandemic because there's too much money and control to be had through the lens of these, these situations. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is speaking with Mickey Willis, the filmmaker behind the controversial film, Pandemic. Mickey is the founder of Elevate, a production company on a mission. Elevate is one of the most prolific creators of socially conscious media. His passion for uniting creatives inspired the birth of Elevate Film Festival in 2006. In less than three years, the festival earned the title of the world's largest single-screen film event, hosting up to 6,000 people per screening. Mickey was the recipient of the 2008 Conscious Life Humanitarian Award and is an active member of the Transformational Leadership Council. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Living 4D with Paul Check. Knowing the depth of the Living 4D with Paul Check audience, I suspect you're interested and concerned with what's really going on in the world today. What happens when big tech corporations manipulate the minds of the public, distort reality, and confuse the concept of the truth? Have we all got a virus named Bill? I could think of no better person to dive into the real issues of our day than Mickey Willis, producer of the now-famous Plandemic 1 and 2 documentaries, which have had over a half a billion views. And thank God for that. In this interview, which will also be available on my youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check channel, I asked Mickey how he got into filmmaking and we got into some of his developmental history. We talked about the healing and opening benefits of plant medicines and our experiences with them and how that relates to enhancing consciousness as is so needed today. Mickey and I went more into dialogue about the core issues we're all facing at this time in our human journey. I personally feel we need diversity of opinions and to have well-grounded, honest, loving people like Mickey Willis to help us have a holistic viewpoint. Without seeing a situation from all sides, we are respectively blind to possibilities. I finished the interview with Mickey in the heat of a great dialogue. We both agree how important it is for us to stand up for our rights as citizens and be a democracy. Unfortunately, we had lots of technical problems and got cut off four times during the interview, but I'm already scheduled to record part two of this interview and we'll pick up from where we left off. We were able to salvage everything and put together a great interview, and I hope you enjoy our dialogue. I suspect it will be awakening on many levels. Enjoy this intriguing potent interview experience with Mickey Willis and I. Welcome to Living 4D, everybody. Today, I have a very interesting and exciting guest, Mickey Willis, producer of Plandemic. I would imagine most of you have seen that one of the most powerful documentaries, I believe, and most timely documentaries, I believe, ever made. And as I was sharing with uh, Mickey recently, uh, the documentary on netflix titled social dilemma is another one i think everybody needs to watch immediately for the same reasons that plandemic is so important so mickey welcome to living 4d with paul check and thank you to jp for connecting us thank you paul yeah absolutely thank you to jp sears my buddy yeah i love jp him and I I do have, too. we have a long history together him and i <laughs> he started with me when he was 19 <laughs> 
Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he dropped out of college because he was bored to death and he kept getting in trouble for studying my course materials in college classes. So finally he said, <laughs> maybe I should just go be a Czech practitioner. <laughs> oh, wow. I had no idea. That's so cool. Well, yeah. well, well thanks for helping to, to shape that incredible young man. He's, uh, he's doing some great work in the world. Yeah, he was always cracking hilarious jokes and it would take us all about a 60 seconds to get the punchline and it was almost embarrassing because these jokes were so good but they were so slight it took a while to really realize what he'd said and we'd all just crack up laughing but uh i love him yeah he he uh, spent uh five years training under me then became an instructor so he was with me for a long time before he went off into his comedian career and i love him deeply and he's an amazing guy and and uh, I was really excited when he got a hold of me and said, hey, Paul, would you like to interview Mickey Willis? I said, hell yes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'd just like to start, Mickey, by saying, you know, you're now world famous for your pandemic documentaries. And personally, I feel deeply grateful for the work that you've done and the commitment that you'd, you put to, to sharing these truths. Um, what I'd like to start with is getting to know a bit about you so that the audience can get a feel for what it takes to create a spiritual warrior like yourself, willing to put it all on the line for people, for truth, for justice, and to maintain the spirit of democracy, which is dissolving right in front of us. Mm. Well, you know, it, my journey began actually in my early 20s when uh, I watched my, my brother die of bad AIDS treatments, and 23 days later, my mom died of bad cancer treatments. And so that was really the, an eye-opener for me to, to become curious about Western medicine and what's going on there. Um, but in that age, you, you know, we didn't have access to the internet and no real way to do the research that was required. Uh, but I remember my, my brother's community, my brother was gay, and I remember his community tell, telling me back when he died that he didn't die of the, of the disease, of the virus, that he died of the people who were leading the virus and pushing medicines that were harmful um, and avoiding the medicines that were helpful. And it, it turned out that the, the person at the helm of that was Anthony Fauci. And oh, so, wow. uh, so I, when his name resurfaced um, during this pandemic, it brought back memories, not good ones. And so that's, that was one of the catalysts for me to, to step forward and to, as you said, risk it all. Because it, it, that is what we do when we, when we step out in this way. Uh, you know, I've had people um, uh, accuse me of doing what I'm doing for, for some level of uh, fame and fortune and and it's it's absurd because it's it's you know first of all after 30 plus years in hollywood i see fame as a curse so that's the last thing that i want in my life is a double-edged sword that that um you know is not it's certainly not something that i'm striving for and then the fortune part of it is people don't realize that you know as a filmmaker filmmakers are dependent upon certain technologies and and certain platforms and a pandemic burned all those bridges for me. So I have I have films on Netflix and Amazon and all of that, but it's very likely that I'll ever have a film on those platforms again because of their their ties to the to the big tech cabal. As a matter of fact, there's a film that I co-directed that comes out um, 2021, and my co-directing partners uh, have just negotiated to get my name off of the film because they thought it would hurt uh, the distribution of the film because they're looking to go on the major platforms. And so already the effect, the negative effect. Uh, has shown up. Um, but all in all, uh, if I had to do it over again, I would do it in a heartbeat because um, what's opened up for me 
um, is is so much greater than being dependent upon a, a corrupt system. Amen. And aho, great spirit. And hallelujah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just shocking to me. You know, when I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, and I got to the point through my own observations and explorations as to what was really going on and what we were really being used for, which was as a sort of theft for large corporations and agencies with ulterior motives that had somehow managed to figure out how to use taxpayers' dollars to steal things from other people and use false media and false flags. It just made me sick to my stomach, and I just hated seeing how gullible soldiers were and how willing they are to go kill anyone and anything and not even ask any questions about it. And and I, I personally can't live in that degree of ignorance and even sleep with myself. So, uh, you know, this whole thing, it, it's just such a, an issue of people needing to take part in a democracy and part in their lives and take part in the awakening to the fact that what's going on is at the at the roots of it, as we'll discuss, isn't just about a coronavirus. That's just the tip of the sword. But the issues go deep into the destruction of this planet for profit, as as you know. So um, it takes people like you that are willing to put it on the line, and and you know it, it's scary for me too. I, I share my truths and and do my best to wake people up and give resources so they can go make up their own minds. And when you get to the point where your very viability is threatened because you are actually being an American citizen and sharing what's true for you and you no longer have freedom of speech, then we all have really serious issues at hand that make the whole virus thing, I think, look like a pimple on an elephant's ass, really. Well said. Well, the, vi- the, 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 the virus is being leveraged to, to strip away those rights. So it's, it's uh, you know, that's why we called the project Plandemic, because we're, we're acutely aware of the work that has been transpiring over the past several decades to prepare for this moment. And, uh, and so without a doubt, particularly now at the, you know, months after the release of the movie, now that we've had a chance to really, really go deep into every rebuttal and every debunking of the movie. And, and, and I will say very proudly that um, we have slayed every single debunker out there and have challenged them to online debates. And, and when you, the, someday I'll release the email threads because they're glorious, you know, to, to see these fact checkers get caught in their lies and, and get confronted with actual data and information, and then ultimately either walk away and in very rare cases, you know, um, kind of offer an underhanded apology to which we usually reply, well, are you willing to go online and to correct the record then? And then that's when they disappear. They have no, in- no intention or desire to, to be accurate. It's, it's uh, all about pushing a narrative that they get paid to push. Well, yeah, so that's the secret. They get paid to push and, yeah. You know, these aren't even people acting as citizens of the United States. These are really uh, hired terrorists. That's right. They're traitors. Yes. It, it's sickening. Um, you know, it's you, you sort of led right into my next question. In my studies of the whole COVID issue, 
I wish I remembered the guy's name, but I came across an American podcaster broadcasting out of Japan, uh, and he was on YouTube, and I just happened to come across it. And he showed actual government documents uh, indicating that the COVID uh, pandemic had been in the planning with multiple governments as early as 2011. Uh, he even showed documents that had been found or leaked. Uh, this smells of a much larger plan. Um, if I, you know, there was a number of documents, some from the German government, I think some from Brazil. There was several governments, and they were all referring to this as an exercise of implementing martial law as yeah. part of a bigger plan. Um, I'm curious, what are your thoughts in regard to this long-term planning and, and strategizing and, and, you know, because it, you see that, that one of the issues there is if they're planning something that far in advance using the name COVID, which they were, it really leans itself towards the whole viral epidemic being something that was engineered and not some kind of, uh, you know, mutation in nature or, you know, like a seasonal flu variation, but something really that's highly engineered. Well, I'm, I'm going to say words here that are, are, are forbidden that will, um, very well could get this podcast shut down, uh -oh. but I'm going to say them because, because you asked. Yeah. Um, and that is without a doubt. And this is, uh, you know, I used to say in my opinion, but my opinion has been gathered from dozens of opinions at this point and dozens of highly qualified opinions. So not only leading up to the release of pandemic, did I have access to the top infectious disease experts uh, the top virologists and immunologists around the world and pandemic experts. Um, but since then, I've been engaged in um, deep conversations with these medical professionals all over the world to really continue to put the pieces of, of this puzzle together. And I will say right now, without a doubt, I have zero doubt, this is beyond my opinion at this point, that this virus was manipulated by man uh, through gain-of-function research and was intentionally released. Yeah, um, there have been enough people who have stepped forward, enough whistleblowers, enough people that were involved directly with the Wuhan lab. Uh, as you know, that the, the Chinese virologist who, who escaped China and came to the U.S. to to report what she had seen and very, very brave woman. Uh, there have been many accounts now, um, even uh, Luc Montagnier, who is the Nobel Prize winner for for his work with the AIDS virus. He was one of the, the many consultants that I, I worked with to create Plandemic. And, and you know, while he's very careful to, um, you know, to risk his life by pointing fingers, he's very quick to say that in his professional opinion, there's no way that this is a naturally developing uh, phenomenon, this virus, and that it had to be in some way, he, he, you know, he'll say, I'm not blaming anyone for doing anything, but all I can say is that it was in some way manipulated by man. And, um, and when you understand that, you know, just, just, just to, that's why, you know, those words are, are forbidden to be spoken online right now, because as soon as you say that it, it, it warrants a very deep investigation to this and that investigation will, um, in, undoubtedly uncover the reality that China and you the U S did this together. Yes, it, 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 from all the things I've seen uh, and looked at from not only your documentary, but several other sources, 
it really looks that way to me. Yeah, at this point, it's the it's it's the only thing that that actually makes sense. You know, when you really they say follow the science, and okay, that's what we're doing with top scientists, and they're all saying the same thing. Some of them on camera, and a lot of them off camera. You know, they won't say it on camera, but when I ask them that question, and I've probably asked that question to maybe forty professionals at this point. They all say the same thing. They'll either say it's highly unlikely or it's impossible or, you know, in my professional opinion, this is what I, and, and it's, it's always consistent. And so, so let's just say that that's the, that's the case. So if this thing was manipulated in a lab and if by, by chance that it was intentionally released, well, well, who is behind that? And, and let's get down to the bottom of why, because this is one of the, it would, it would be the greatest crime against humanity. Ever. Have you seen the video that was put out on YouTube by the German lawyer who's licensed in California and he's on the German investigation team into COVID? Yeah. I, I was really happy to see that because, I you know, did. you were you're just mentioning that talking about this, if enough people start talking like this, it's going to trigger an investigation. But it seems to me the German government's already doing one. And I shared that with a number of my friends and several of them sent me back links to websites showing that there's people suing governments all over the place, Canada for sure, and uh, because uh, the, the destruction of the virus, just like the German lawyer said, has actually been far, far more greater in its impact on people through mask wearings and social isolation and catastrophe in the economy and business shutdowns that the number of deaths from suicide and violence and all that is actually far out pacing any of the deaths from what the virus has been attributed to. So, you know, that some are looking at it from that perspective. And I think it's, it's important. Well, there's many, there's many nations, Spain and a lot of other places that are in, in, in full, full fledged investigation over this uh, countries that still have, you know, some, some degree of, of, of justice and freedom, uh, unlike the U.S., that me- the media covers everything and hides everything. Um, there's, there's thousands of doctors all over the world, some top, top doctors and, and letters that have been signed by thousands of doctors. And we're in contact with about 40,000 doctors at this point um, that all have, uh, you know, signed their name or, or have at least raised their hand to say, I, I'm in support of a thorough investigation because something is foul. And, um, and we could talk about wh- why. I, I definitely have my, my theories of why all this is happening because that's a very important thing for us to realize. There's for, for any, any um, leadership of any nation to go to such extent, extent to, to which they're willing to kill the economy and kill people. Um, there's, there's always a really grand reason for that. And, um, and it's in this case, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but whenever you, you, you want, I'm happy to delve into what I've been able to discover with that. Well, I'd love to hear it. Hello, everybody. In my career as a holistic health practitioner, I've seen a long string of cases of people that showed signs of protein deficiency on lab testing, even though they were eating plenty of protein from animal sources. The problem was that they were eating commercially raised animals, which are loaded with dangerous toxic farming chemicals, antibiotics, and other drug residues, and the garbage stuffs that they feed commercially raised animals. 
I've also rehabilitated a long string of vegans and vegetarians who were suffering serious hormonal and physiological imbalances because they were living off commercially raised plant foods, which are also toxic. Additionally, not everyone has the genetic profile, enzymes, or capacity to extract protein from plants, which is trapped in a fiber matrix of the plant. Without exception, and through lab testing, I identified that 100% of these people had leaky gut syndrome, ranging from mild to severe, which means that they were developing immune antibodies against everything they were eating, leaving them between a rock and a hard place when it came to finding foods they could eat without further inflaming their guts. One of my professional aids to healing has always been to find super clean, highly nutritious sources of protein that is easily digested, absorbed, and combined with other vital nutrients that people need to heal and regenerate their bodies effectively and efficiently. One of my go-to products for organic, clean, nutritious, high-density protein is Organifi's Complete Protein All-in-One Mix. This amazing protein powder is 100% certified organic, plant-based, with no soy or whey, making it great for people with sensitivities to common food offenders, and it comes complete with organic source multivitamins and digestive enzymes to enhance digestion, absorption, metabolism, and assimilation. Not only will Organifi's Complete Protein help meet your protein needs, it's gut-friendly, super clean, free of additives, preservatives, and colorings that irritate the gut, tastes great, and is great for the whole family, and can greatly enhance recovery from training and developing more lean muscle mass. To get your Organifi Complete Protein in vanilla or chocolate flavor, go to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And on checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20 to get your special 20% Living 4D discount, which applies to all Organifi products. So shop around while you're there and enjoy the great organic food for you and your whole family. Before you begin, I have to ask you a leading question. Who is leading this country? It sure as hell isn't our government. I mean, we don't have a government. We have a corporate headquarters. The government is supposed to be for the people, by the people. And we yeah. we don't have that going on. It, it, you know, the day that Donald Trump got voted into the presidency, I knew we were in very deep trouble when we elect a, a, a known criminal who's been through multiple bankruptcies, who is not even mature enough to be an 18-year-old who embarrasses people whenever he uses social media, I'm like, okay, we're in deep shit already. And then all the stuff about rigged elections and all the documentaries that came out on that, and even uh, the Netflix documentary Social Dilemma talked about that and to how they could actually quite easily do that and, and, and do it without it being, even being illegal. They alluded to the fact that the Russian government used Facebook within the contractual relationship to do what Facebook's designed to do and said that they didn't actually break laws, which means we have a real lack of laws where we need laws. So my question is to you, Mickey, who is controlling this country first? <laughs> because we, we're talking about the illusion of a government. I want to know who you think's in charge. Well, that's a big question that the the people that know much more about this than me, and I, I would say that's a, I, I work with a group of whistleblowers, uh, very high level whistleblowers. Uh, I was engaged in a, uh, producing a movie 
that I actually pushed aside, uh, it, it, you know, to enable us to create a pandemic. And uh, the, the all of the whistleblowers will point towards the fact that those really in charge will never know their names. Uh, but there's a, a a outer circle, you know. There's the 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 most inner circle that will that no one knows who those people are. But the the next uh, ring out of that circle, I would call them the globalist. And um, and it's because it's a it's a lot of the faces that we see fighting for these benevolently branded, really good sounding causes that. I used to believe that was, um, you know, like the United Nations, uh, it sounds like such a great mission, you know, to unite all the nations. It's unity for me has always been a, a very important thing of just bringing people together. And, and, uh, and so the idea of uniting our nations is great. But when you understand the real agenda behind the United Nations and behind the people, you know, just even understand that the Rockefellers donated the land for the, for the headquarters of the United Nations. I mean, this is a, a long, um, uh, carefully plotted agenda to literally control all nations. It's not about uniting the nations, but it's about to cont controlling all nations. And so when you look back at our, the majority of the wars that we have fought in our nation, as you know, better than anyone, uh, have not been fought legitimately just to defend our, our, our liberty or, or, or to protect us. They've been fought for reasons of greed and, and power. They've, um, you know, we've gone into hijack the resources of other countries, and ultimately, the the big game at the at the root of all of this is dependency, is creating a, a state of dependency. And so, when we go into another nation, you know, it, it begins with the the media colluding with uh, those dark forces within our our government to push a narrative to the people and to start planting seeds to demonize leaders of other countries um, or other countries as a whole so that when an event is created, we are all primed and, and furious enough to say, go bomb them. Right. How do, how do you get millions of peace-loving people that were all in the streets in the 60s and 70s marching for love and freedom and peace how do you get them years later, decades later, to go against all of that and vote to go kill other nations of people? Well, you do that through what I call weaponized morality. So we're all, you know, at the root of it all is, is that we care. And that caring is what leads soldiers into battles and fighting actually for the very forces that they think that they're eradicating. And so because soldiers care so much, they care more than most uh, beings on the planet because they're willing to actually sacrifice their life to go and fight for their nation. And so that, that's a, a, you know, a great indication of how, how much they care, willing to sacrifice their life. But unfortunately, um, so many soldiers have woken up to realize that they were bamboozled into fighting and killing innocent people. And that, that's a very similar thing to what's, to what's taking place right now. So it happens at the military level, but it also happens at the civilian level. And so in the same way, what, I, what I'm encountering now in my life is armies of citizens fighting against me, unwittingly fighting for 
big pharma, big media, and big politics, and they don't even know it. No, they they pick up the they pick up a you know they again morality is weaponized, so they get they get keyed into some narrative that is anyone who su- would suggest that this virus was intentionally released is evil, and they're hurting people, and they're a danger to your grandmother and to your kids, and and people believe that so much that. It shuts down any critical thinking or any critical dialogue. And so when when people like me and all the thousands of doctors who've stepped forward to say it's a reality, we need to re- really investigate. Um, no one wants to investigate it because they've been primed to to see it as some crazy conspiracy theory. And that's that's the game that's played. That's that's the way that our our, our, our psyche has been weaponized. Well, you know, I've studied brainwashing quite a bit in the science of memetics. And one of the classic terms used for people that are brainwashed is that they become what are called control bots. And they're really like robots being controlled from an external source, which in this case is the media. And we've got an entire generation of people that actually don't. Well, first of all, our education systems don't teach us how to think. They teach us what to think, as you well know. So we have very few people that are, uh, you know, voting age at this point that actually were educated to use their minds for critical thinking. They were just put into a, a education systems that was built by plantation owners uh, a long time ago to specifically train people to follow orders and not be creative and not think for themselves. And we have this situation now where, you know, something like the national average last time I checked for television watching was 7.5 or 7.9 hours. So when you figure that people are spending almost the equivalent of an entire workday glued to television, which means they're certainly not taking the time to research any of these things and find out if there's any truth to them, they're actually falling into this very dangerous trap of, of believing the illusions that are being projected at them. And I tell people all the time, be warned that the word television means tell a vision. And the other issue is, is you see this same problem in fundamentalist religious movements where they actually don't question their own belief system and i tell my students all the time any belief system worth living is worth questioning and Mm -hmm. so what happens is they believe this dogma without realizing it's very very ethnocentric it separates people from other people goes completely against what the whole point of religion is so we've got we've got this massive issue here of people that are not thinking critically that are believing anything they're told they believe anything that's so-called approved by science or by doctors or by the major organizations like the fda the cdc the government but i mean how how long does a person have to live in the world before they finally come to the realization that all the drugs that were ever scientifically validated and approved that had to be taken off the market because they were killing people were not actually scientifically validated or imp- approved. How many times do we have to go through this water gates and political controversies? And, you know, to, to a point that you mentioned earlier, I won't share this person's name for his own protection, but somebody who was once a teacher to me was a green beret in Vietnam and his, he was on a reconnaissance mission and he came across an underground arms cache 
of the Vietnamese and went in to explore with his team and was very, very shocked when he shined a flashlight on the steel beams holding up this massive arms dump. And guess what it said on those steel beams? U.S. Steel. And it was in the enemy's territory and it was their own arms dump and it had been built. And it was a massive underground development, you know, a massive, massive development that was clearly built by technology and with resources not available to the very people we were fighting against. And when he reported that, he was attacked. They sent other teams of elite soldiers after his team to exterminate him, and he had to run for his life. Yeah. And he was lucky to get out alive. So, you know, when we when you're getting these kinds of stories from people that are credible inside our own organization, you know, it's just like eventually people have to wake up. And just the fact that we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world, which is ranked 37th for its lack of performance, yet people keep not questioning it and just playing dead. It's 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 a serious problem and you 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 know one of the points that was made in the uh netflix documentary social dilemma is that nobody knows what the truth in, is anymore because there's so much misinformation out there and that one of the experts said even google and facebook don't know the truth anymore so you know i'd like to just sort of sideways step a little and say what's your thoughts on how do we work together collectively to create some sort of a a means of filtering things so that we're at least in touch with reality. I describe reality as what's happening. And right now, all this is happening. But when it comes to the reality that I think you and I are referring to, it's the reality of what it takes to sustain life, what it takes to sustain culture, what it takes to sustain democracy or freedom, what it takes to keep the world functioning so that we're not destroying each other and destroying the planet at a rate that is out of balance with the rate that the planet can regenerate itself, which we've been doing for a very long time. So how do we actually get to the point where we can have a consensus of some kind on what reality is and what truth is? Really great questions, Paul. And, and I, I, for myself, speak, you know, speaking from my, my direct experience of how I've been able to arrive at at new ideas new thoughts and new truths and which is incredibly important to me it's just it's just in my veins that uh you know i believe that truth shall set us free and and you know the lack of truth is one of the reasons that that we're not free right now and so i i look at this and and i take your question very seriously because you know for me the method that i use to shed a lot of my old beliefs because my beliefs have changed radically over the last five years. And and I will get into that. It's very important. It's happening to a lot of people right now. And it's very important that, um, that we help guide each other through this process. It's, it's, it's very similar to the five stages or seven stages of grief where there's a, a process of, of, of looking behind the curtain and then dealing with what you see and how it affects us emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually and all of that um, to, you know, maybe perhaps a better metaphor is, you know, 
one of the most painful realities that people have had to discover is that their their beloved spouse is cheating on them. And even when they can sense it and they can smell the perfume of another, uh, you know, there's still a, a part of, you know, of voluntary denial that 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 we want to hang on to and not really look at that reality because we just want to stay in our in our delusion and our in our you know pretend love story and so you know first recognizing what's going on embracing it seeing it and and um, uncovering the truth is one of the toughest things for us to do and then the pain that comes with that the reactions that come with that the anger the denial all of that is very much like the, the stages of grief um, but for me personally, w- one of the ways that I, I keep going deeper in, in getting better and better as a journalist and as a truth seeker and finder is by questioning everything that I currently believe. And so, um, I'll give you a, an example of that. Um, cause in this, in this podcast already, you've mentioned the word democracy a few times. And so there was a, a point in my life when I the word democracy meant something else to me and, and everyone uses it because they say someone's a threat to the democracy. We need democracy. Democracy felt like it was kind of a cure all. Uh, it was kind of a foundation of, 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 of a system that, that would fix all our problems in our world. And I've since then started to really look at democracy. You know, I, I question everything. I I'll hear myself say something and then I'll ask myself, a question I'll say how do I know that's true um, and there's a lot of times when I arrive at the answer I don't know that it's true where did that come from then I'm I, I speak it with such certainty but where is my data where is my proof where is my lived experience that informs me that that statement that I just said is accurate or is it do I believe it's accurate only because everyone else says it and asking these very critical questions of, of thyself is 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 very important. And when I did that in terms of democracy, I started to look at it differently. And I said, I was on the road with Bernie Sanders at the time, documenting his two, 2016 campaign and this whole thing of de- democratic socialism kept coming up. And I was trying to ask people, what's the difference between socialism, which they all agreed was dangerous, but they all would say, but democratic socialism is different. And I would say, why and how? And explain that to me. And honestly, none of the answers, even Bernie's answers, uh, really held up. And I started to look at it and I said, well, putting the word democracy in front of socialism, um, it sounds good because we're already keyed into believing that democracy is a solution. But is it? Then I started to study Socrates and other people that have had a lot to say about the dangers of, of democracy. And now I understand why. Because you know, democracy at its core meaning is, is, is the, the power of the people to decide. And, but the, that sounds wonderful, but when we look around, especially after this pandemic, and we see the decisions that the majority of the people that are making, we have to ask ourselves, do we want these people guiding our lives and, and creating the policies in this world? Because what democracy the idea in itself is fantastic, but what it actually creates is corruption and pandering. So now all the politicians know that we need 51% of the people to agree with us for us to win whatever battle it is that we're fighting. So 
This now requires the politicians to come and go, okay, what do we need? Okay, we need the black vote. We need the Hispanic vote. Okay, great. So let us put on African garb and get on our knees and, and do whatever we can do to try to win them, you know, and, and that kind of dishonest um, uh, hustling energy is what literally plants the seeds for a corrupt industry. And so I, I'm not, I'm not so sure about democracy anymore. I, I, I really feel like there's another system that wants to emerge that requires a very in, integral leadership and, and councils uh, like they do in indigenous cultures, where there's councils of trusted people that, that perhaps have to remain anonymous so that they can't be bribed or bought um, or, or, you know, tempted in any way to, to, to choose, you know, outside of their own morals or beliefs, um, in exchange for money or power. So a long answer to your short question is it, it, you know, we have to start questioning everything that we believe, everything that we believe. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I, I have some thoughts in that regard. Paleo Valley makes some incredible superfood bars that are a lot different than what most people think of as a superfood bar. I've got Autumn Smith, the creator of their superfood bars, right here to tell you about them. Autumn, what is so unique about your awesome superfood bars? Well, our superfood bars are unique because not only do they not contain refined sugar or GMOs or any of the freaky additives that you'll find in most bars or gluten or anything, but they're just whole foods. They're low in sugar. They're made with superfoods like ginger and broccoli and acerola cherry and collagen from grass-fed and finished animals, which we all know is like a fountain of youth. And so the best part about them, though, is probably the flavor. They come in chocolate and apple cinnamon, and we have so many more delicious flavors to come, and they're easy to put in your bag to feed for you with your kids. And I hope you love them all as much as I do. All you have to do to get access is go to paleovalley.com, and you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K, 15, and you can get 15% off. And I hope you love them. That's awesome. And just so you know, that's P-A-L-E-O-Valley.com. And I know you're going to love Autumn Superfood Bars. First of all, in de by definition, a belief system is closed. And we are in a, a world that has 85% of its population claiming religious affiliation, about 70% of which research by people like Ken Wilber, uh, Gene Gebser, and many others, uh, even Arthur M. Young wrote about this extensively, shows that about 70% of them are at the fundamentalist level of conscious development, which means that they're uh, highly, highly susceptible to being in closed belief systems. And Ken Wilber showed studies that look carefully at what happens when you put scientific evidence in front of them by valid researchers showing that there is other opinions and that their opinion is potentially wrong and they will not even read it. They won't even look at it. Yeah. So, you know, it seems to me like we're in a time where the forces of the universe, if you will, are inspiring us to actually recreate something that's not communist, that's not socialist, that's not democracy, you know, um, I think all those prior models 
have some kind of weakness in them. Otherwise, they'd still be around. And, you know, the Roman Empire, we've seen many empires come and go. So it seems that everything has a shelf life. And if we don't sort of evolve uh, with the forces of evolution, then we end up in these situations where we're facing, you know, we're between a rock and a hard spot. But what I was inspired to share with you, hearing your comments about democracy, is that to me, democracy depends on sovereignty of the individual. Because until you actually take ownership of yourself and take responsibility for yourself and step into the responsibilities as an adult, then you can't really be part of a democracy. How can you be part of a democracy when you can't even manage the government of self? That's right. And we have, right. we have a very serious problem in our culture. Uh, Ken Wilber says about uh, 70 to 90%, I think it's Ken Wilber, it might be other researchers, I've studied so many of these things, but I've seen research that shows 90% of the American population is psychologically developed to that of a 12-year-old and no higher. And Carl Jung wrote extensively about this all the way back in the 20s and 30s and talking about how people are not growing up and they, they're not individuating, they're not becoming whole in and unto themselves. They're, they're staying in the position of the eternal child. And the very corporations we're talking about and the pacifiers like Facebook, video games, media of all types is actually keeping people in a very, very distracted, highly programmable state where they're not actually conscious of, of their choices, how they're spending their money, how they're living, what they're putting in their mouth and calling food, what their tax dollars are doing. These are all the issues of a child. And if you study native tribes worldwide, you'll find something very interesting. If a young man did not make it through the initiation, some tribes would give them another chance, but to punish them, they made them live with the women and often even dress like women to embarrass them enough to get their act together. But many tribes and cultures actually would kill a young man that did not make it through their initiation into adulthood for the simple reason that they could not carry adults that were not contributing and could not defend the tribe because they didn't have the resources to do it. So it was actually a threat to the survival of the tribe to carry dead wood, metaphorically. So they would actually kill anyone that could not make it through their uh, adult initiation in, as a young man, becoming a man. And so I was really speaking to the idea that that democracy depends upon sovereignty. And if we don't step into our shoes and contribute to the world and actually question our own thoughts and ask, is what I'm doing meaningful? Is, is it contributing to meeting the needs that we all need? In other words, is the way I'm living actually damaging to the world and to each other? Or is it productive with regard to the issues of caring for the planet, caring for the resources, looking after the farmlands, the soil, in other words, we all depend we all depend on the earth. We got to take care of it. We're ruining it. We all depend on water. It's toxic almost everywhere. We all depend on air. It's toxic. And now we're we're putting so much crap into space that we're filling space with junk. And these are all decisions made by people, but none of these people are actually thinking past how much money they're going to get paid and to what the impact is. 
So to conclude my point, democracy, in my opinion, depends on sovereignty of the individual. And until we actually take responsibility for our individuality and realize that we all need each other and we can't get by without each other and start being aware that we have to be conscious of how the way we live our life influences others and is it supportive of the needs of others, uh, we're not going to get anywhere, I don't think. Yeah, very well said. And I, I, I agree with all of that 100%. And it, and it really brings, uh, is a great segue to the subject that these things, so let's, let's take socialism for an example. Um, socialism has never worked. It has always led to communism or terrible strife. But that said, that doesn't mean socialism doesn't work. That means the way that it's been implemented doesn't work. And so the idea of the idea, the basic foundation of socialism, meaning we help those that, are, that need help, those at the bottom, we, we lift up and we bring them to a level of, of, of equality with, with the tribe. You know, you've mentioned the word tribe a few times. So on a tribal level, democracy and 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 socialism can work it's when we have any kind of mandated government control over those structures that they will fail every time they'll actually lead to horrible horrible systems that leave people um in in, in violence and poverty and so if you you know th there's a lot of studies that have been done about you know the collapse the, the rise and collapse of empires and and the amount of humans that can congregate together as a group until they start to actually destroy themselves from within. And so we need to pay attention to these, to these studies because there, there's really a lot to learn from, from, the, from that, that idea that in small groups, so for instance, I could see, you know, socialism can work really well. We, we form, you and I form a community and there's, there's a thousand people in the community and we're able to say, out of these thousand people, we have our, our own food supply, our own resources and everything we need, you know, uh, mental, psychological support, everything that we might need to sustain our community together. Um, in that case, we could then ensure that the people we invite into that community are, as you said, they're sovereign citizens, they're responsible, they're educated enough, um, they're sane enough to be able to be part of this collective that makes critical decisions for other people's lives, for our own life and other people's lives. But the reality is, in, in, in these mega cities and in the world, we're never going to have 8 billion people that are taking full responsibility for themselves and they're willing to do their work uh, such that they understand politics and how it actually works. And so, so it, it really begs a, a new system that... I look at it and I, and I think, well, instead of having this broad, you know, net of democracy where we go, everyone has a right to vote. Uh, is that the best system? I'm not sure that it is. Uh, perhaps we start looking at systems that that require one percent of a population. So if we live in a, a city of a million people, perhaps perhaps a hundred thousand of those people are selected based upon their commitment. Their, their, their willingness, their, their time allotment to actually delve into every subject and research it deeply to understand who's running for office, 
what every one of the, the fine print means in every policy. Um, and and they're, they're people from very diverse backgrounds so that they understand the technocrats. They understand the government. They understand economics. They understand civics. They, they understand education. They understand children. They understand people of color and, and all the needs in all of our diverse communities. And those thousand people are selected to be the council. Um, and there are systems that can be put in place that, that, would, that would protect them from the temptation of money. Of, um, <laughs> of money yeah. And, and in that case, we could actually have a system of a trusted council of diverse voices that, you know, because all of us, I mean, let's look at the, I mean, you know, my life is politics right now, but I'll be honest with you. When I went into the voting booth yesterday, you know, 99% of everything I voted for, I have no fucking clue what that policy really is or who that person really is. We tend to go, this is my side. Let me just check everyone on my side. And massive mistakes are made, you know, because of that. And that's why we get broadsided all the time because we realize, wow, someone pretending to be on my side w was just one and they really aren't on our, our side. And this incredible bill that, they, that they're passing, if you read the small print, it actually achieves the opposite of what it, it, it's, it's verb you know, it, it verbally says that it's there to support. So we have to find, we have to look at why these systems are not working. We have to look at, at all of these things that incentivize corruption and incentivize confusion in the world. And it, it doesn't take a, a, a genius to, to figure out new systems, but the, the reality is, Paul, is they don't want new systems no, because they don't. they don't want it to work. They don't want to solve climate change. They don't want to solve all these problems. They, they don't want to solve cancer. They don't want to solve a pandemic because there's too much money and control to be had through the lens of these these situations. Well, I think that brings up a couple of points. One, I mentioned to you in personal communication, Vandana Shiva's book, Oneness yeah. versus the 1%. She does a very, very good job of laying out exactly who's doing what and how much money they're making off of it, which I'll get into with you shortly. But she really, in the end of the book, talks about a lot of ways that we can make it work. And really, it, it, start, it seems to me that we have to go back, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, I think we've got to get out of the monetary system that we're in, and we ultimately have to go back to a barter system where we're changing, exchanging goods and services because they have hard value. You see, if, if you're a farmer, and let's say you have cows and you make milk and butter, and I'm a, a, a therapist or a doctor or a mechanic, if you and I can trade services, well, if you don't trade fair value, I'm sure as hell not going to use you again. But right now, the way the system's working is you don't really know what you got till you've been screwed. And so yeah. if we, yeah. if we, if we, and I've looked into this quite a bit, if we set up a system of smaller communities that have their own power generation, be it windmills or solar, or hopefully we stop playing the stupid power games and release some of the technology that have been suppressed to access free energy or zero porn energy. But if we, if we take responsibility for local power, local water, local farming, and we, we really rely on each other's local services 
Then if something like an earthquake happens or a major event happens, there's all these small units that can link into each other and support each other. But right now, something like 90% of the world's food supply comes from five corporations. You know, so what you're talking about is, is five corporations that have the power to keep you alive or basically start the biggest civil war ever when people are starving. And when I was a paratrooper and we were in military training, they, they told us the first thing you do if you want to control an enemy is you take out their food supply and you take out their communications and they're, from there it's easy. Well, I tell people all the time, if you knew that you don't have control of your food supply or your communications and that your communications are being used against you constantly and that your food supply is poisoning and killing you and you're largely doing nothing about it, I mean, consider that only 4 to 6% of the food eaten worldwide is organically grown. You're dealing with a, a large population of people that are completely asleep to the fact that their very existence is dependent upon a very small number of people, which Vandana Shiva pointed out as the 1% very, very clearly. And their motives are clearly money. And two, they have a scientific materialist view of the world where they don't actually see the planet as a living being. They see it as just a resource that they can do whatever the hell they want with. And that is not only very unintelligent, but there's just mountains and mountains of science showing the interconnected of world systems and how we are dependent on the planet and how the systems depend on each other and how it is a living organism from Lovelock's Gaia uh, philosophy all the way up to you know, too many scientists to mention. I mean, I must have 150 books in my library on this topic. And, and, and this goes right back to education. We're not being educated in what we really need to know to be in touch with reality. We're being educated in what we need to be told to be highly profitable to people that have no, no real concern for us or the planet, which unfortunately you follow that backwards and you get to a lot of, uh, I, I hate to say it, but you get to a lot of religious philosophies that uh, I won't expand on for time's sake, but you start studying the core beliefs of the world's major religions, and at large part, especially the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, you have this sort of view that we are being punished and that we're put here because we're fallen angels or we're, we've somehow f uh, fallen, we're, we're uh, bad people, and, and all this silliness, which which just is so out of touch with the reality, even of cosmology, quantum physics, and, and many, many other sciences. So it's, it's you know, I'm, I'll close my point before, before I wait for the chance to make my next one um, by saying, I don't see any way around barter, fee, fee for actual service, and small self-contained units worldwide that allow people to have more control over the actual resources that keep us alive so that we can actually learn to work together and have to be responsible for the choices we make and the services we provide. You know, Bioptimizers makes an amazing product called P3OM, which is a prebiotic product. And it's amazing for uh, not only helping uh, repopulate the gut with uh, friendly bacteria. But as Wade will tell you, it's really, really an amazing uh, product in case you ever feel like you're getting any kind of food poisoning or illness coming on. 
And Wade's right here with me, and he's the co-founder by Optimizers, and he knows more about P3OM than anybody. But I can tell you this, I've had nothing but excellent results and nothing but positive feedback from all my clients and friends that I've turned, it on, turned on to P3OM. So Wade, tell us a little bit about P3OM and, and why it works so well. Well, P3M is, we call it the Navy SEAL of probiotics. Amen. Basically, its job is to kick out the bad guys in your body. Uh, Food poisoning is one of those things from bad bacteria. What we've done is we've taken an aggressive strain of L-plantarum. We put it into toxic soup, ran a sine wave to keep a few of them alive. And the few survivors, we grow in very specialized medium to make a cultured, patented enzyme that has extraordinary powers uh, number one, it survives the intestinal tract. Yes. And number two, it is absolutely hunts down uh, pathogens in, this, in the body, bacteria, viruses, these type of things. And this is really where the future of probiotics is. It is about developing and culturing and creating super strains of probiotic, very much like the Navy SEALs go through a training and these yes. individuals mm-hmm. have extraordinary powers to deal with chaos. And in today's world where we want to improve our immunity and our function and our gut health, P3M is head and shoulders above any probiotic out there. So my understanding is it can be used daily as a supplement, but it can also be used in larger quantities as a defense measure. We've tested this uh, literally with over a hundred of our friends who have been suffering from various times of food poisoning. And a handful of those guys when you're in food poisoning and within 20 to 30 minutes, you complete recovery. That's awesome. And I've, I've uh, seen it happen myself. Angie has felt bad a number of times and uh, several of people in the, in the house or family have. And I say, take 10. If that doesn't feel good in an hour, take 20. And you've told me you can't overdose on them, which is amazing. Yeah, that's the beauty of P3M. You can't take too much. They'll fight off the bad guys and uh, they'll get your digestion rocking and rolling the way it should. So if you want to have a healthy gut and you want some defense, carry P3OM with you wherever you go, airplanes, cars, business meetings, hotels, conferences, and you've got your Navy SEALs in the bottle and they're ready for you anytime. Wade, how do we, we get a hold of your amazing P3OM product? Super easy. Just go to www.bioptimizers.com slash living4d and put in Paul10 for your 10% discount code. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash living4d and Paul10 for your discount code. You got it. There you go. Try it. You'll love it. I use them. I can't tell you enough how much I love this product. I think it's a genius product. And you've heard it right from the master himself. Get your P3OM. Let us know how you feel about it. Lots of love. Uh, so I have a, a story that you've just inspired. Um, 1999, I went to my first Burning Man festival. And uh, I was blown away by, you know, just as somebody who's always been a, a real um, obsessive observer of life. And particularly when I encounter a new system that, you know, that's foreign to everything that I know. So I was very intrigued by the barter system of, of Burning Man. And, um, and when I got there, I learned that, you know, people had said, you know, can't, you know, you don't bring money because there's really nothing to buy. You just, you just barter and trade things. And that isn't exactly true. When I got there, they said, well, you do have to buy ice and coffee. (laughs) And so so I got I got in line um, for ice, and it was a, a very long line, you know, 
in, in the desert, very hot. And I finally got to the front of the line and some incredibly <laughs> dusty, dirty hippie kid came up to me and he was incredibly kind. And he said, Hey bro, um, can I cut in front of you? I've been up all night and I'm well, sure. Of course it's fine. It's burning man. You want me to say no. And, um, sure. Jump in front of me. And I, what I witnessed happened changed me and it gave me an insight regarding our monetary systems that, um, that have always left me curious as to what the new model might be. And so what happened was this young man got to the front of the line as the guy came up and he said, how can I help you? He said, yeah, um, I, I worked on the temple. I built the temple all night. Um, and they said that, you know, I can get free ice from you. And he goes, he goes, yeah, sure. You got, you, you have your voucher. And the, the young man said, voucher. And he said, yeah, did you get voucher from Tim who's managing the project? And he said, no, man, they didn't mention anything about a voucher. They just said, come here. And he goes, yeah, sorry. He goes, oh, man, you want me to walk all the way out there? I'm exhausted. I'm hot. I need, you know, I just want to go to bed. And he's like, yeah, sorry, bro. You know, got to have that voucher. And as he walked away, I was like, wow, they just reinvented money right in front of me. Yep. You know, so he needed a voucher to prove that he worked on the temple all night. It was clear that he was telling the truth, but then it hit me. I was like, oh, interesting. So money is a note of proof that I have invested this you know, number of hours into work. I've earned enough to have these numbers on this piece of paper to exchange them to you for your products and services that you can now cash this in for more money for yourself. And, and I thought, what, what is lacking there in that situation? It was amazing that he didn't believe that young man um, when it was clear that he was telling the truth. And I said, wow, we need money at this stage because we're dishonest. Right. That young, that young man could have been gaming the system. And, and then I went, so this is about trust. And then, bam, I, I was like, trust. They call money trust. A trust fund. A tr well, this is interesting. Like, like. I always wondered where that name came, you know, how it was correlated to money that in, in that way. And so I thought our lack of trust, if we had, if we were like in the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, with the inability to lie, then that young man would go up and just with the currency of his, if his words, he would say, I worked in the temple. And that man would say, of course you did. You wouldn't say you did if you didn't. But the fact that we're so dishonest, it requires us to show proof. And so therein lies uh, the the, the need for, for money in this age. But what is that, what is that form of currency that doesn't require us to be honest? Because that's never going to happen. We're not going to suddenly create an integral, you know, honest, uh, global society where, where, we're too, um, we're too programmed and trained to, um, hustle our, 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 our lives in such a way that we are you know, always trying to get out of standing in line or, or paying bills or, or being responsible for things. And so I found that to be very interesting. And so, you know, onto your, your topic about, about barter, I do think there's, there's some really great opportunities. Um, uh, I was actually in a conversation about this last night, about the power of, of bartering, because the, the one upside to it, another lesson that I learned that year at Burning Man was, you know, I would see these 
people that came with nothing and they would, you know, somebody would say, are you hungry? And they'd say, yeah. And they'd say, but I, I don't have anything to trade you for that, you know, can of soup. And they'd say, you have a song? You have a poem? Okay, cool. Give it to me. And it was interesting because I, I was like, well, that, that's really lovely that, and, and such that it, it now brings value to these simple little things that we take for granted, like our, our poetry, our words, our talents, our songs, our, you know, like it, it brings this value of currency to all these little, you know, eccentricities and talents that we hold within us that we don't necessarily, or we weren't taught to see them as valuable, which is, I think, one reason that we have so many people that have given up on their dreams and their passions, their creative passions, to just do a job that maintains their existence because they have been, we've been so taught that that unique expression that we have, that little ability to juggle or whatever it is, isn't a real thing and it doesn't deserve any kind of payment. Um, so there's, a, there's a, also a very um, uh, uh, spiritually valuable element to the barter system that I think can also enhance our relationship to ourselves and our talents. I really agree. And I think what you've just said really is very, very important because we've developed a culture that measures, measures itself largely academically. And as a guy who's spent his 36 years of his life, really guiding and teaching and coaching young people into their own genius and inspiring them. You know, when JP told me he was leaving, I was like, I'm so proud of you for listening to your heart, you know, and, and being honest with yourself. Cause that takes a lot of courage to do. And we, we, the, the number one thing I hear from people when they say, well, you know, I really hate what I'm doing. I say, well, what would you love to do? They, they say, well, I'd like to be a musician or I'd like to be a writer or I'd like to be, a photographer or I'd like to own my own um, surfing company or something. I said, well, why didn't you do that in the first place? You know what the most common answer I get is? My parents told me I would never make a living doing that. And they even threatened that they would not pay for my college and they would cut me off if I did that. Yeah. And it would be a disrespect to the family. Yeah. So we've actually... And a lot of this whole stuff goes right back to fundament fundamentalist religion, particularly Christianity, where kids have to dress a certain way, behave a certain way. Everything has to be done exactly by the fundamentalist code of that religious doctrine, or it's embarrassing to the family and the family puts tremendous pressure on the child saying that you're disgracing us, et cetera, et cetera. And I've had to coach countless people through the trauma of of rejection by their own family and their own church for their sexuality, their creativity and everything else. So it's, it's, it's really as though we're going through an, an entire breakdown of all the, shall we say, belief systems that have actually maybe at one point served us to some degree, but at this point are no longer effective because they are actually creating an umbrella that sustains that which would be the opposite of being an adult. I tell people an adult is someone who says what they mean and means what they say. I came up in a community on Vancouver Island of loggers and farmers. If you shook someone's hand and said, I'll be there tomorrow at three in the afternoon to help you get your hay in because it's going to rain. 
and you didn't show up, well, guess what's going to happen next time you're in a pickle and need some help? Yeah. They're not going to shake your hand and they're not going to show up. So one of the most painful things I learned in my career as a professional, especially when I started my institute, is how many times people shook my hand and then screwed me. And and so, you know, this really all just boils right back down to becoming adults and, and taking responsibility for ourselves. And as adults, as part of a community or tribe, when, in, when, uh, when a person was initiated into adulthood, it meant that they had to give their life to protect the tribe and its resources. And the reason the initiation ceremonies were the way they were is because you had to learn to face death. And so they carefully designed these things. For example, one of them I studied, the elders would line up in a long row with a big stick. And the young person that was the initiate had to run down this path and they would beat this person to the edge of their life by the time he got to the other end. And the, and the real art of it was, is you hurt him bad enough that he really has to face ad, uh, you know, challenging situation and overcome pain and get to the other end, whether he crawled or rolled or however he got there. Now, I know for a lot of people that sounds brutal, but the, the reality of it is, Many of these systems were quite stable for a long time, you know, right up until white man came and wiped everybody out. I mean, if you listen to Chief Seattle's speech to the U.S. government, it's shockingly potent. And so I think we're in, in sort of this situation where we're in this meltdown because it has to melt down because it just cannot. It's obviously not working. And I'd like to just throw one thing on the plate for you here, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And that is having studied mythology for a long time and put a lot of effort into it. People like Joseph Campbell, um, Carl Jung, um, many others all stated very clearly that whenever a myth in a culture begins to break down, it's a very, very dangerous time. Wars are very likely and you see a tremendous resurgence of isms. Jung talked about Nazism as the result of a cultural breakdown. And so then what happens is you have, what is an ism? An ism is a group of people who divert their own responsibility and authority for decision-making to whoever's the head of the ism. And so what you see is actually another system to foster children that can't think for themselves. And so an ism is also a belief system. And so whenever you have the breakdown of a myth, you have a counter myth reemerging. And so right now we're in the throes of a counter myth, but people don't seem to, you know, the only people that know what myth is emerging are artists, musicians, poets, and mystics. So what happens is, is we, are in this transition where we have a counter myth emerging. And I think that's what you and I are really talking about is trying to put our finger on the pulse of what is the counter myth that's emerging. And so it seems to me that we really have to take stock about what is our myth? What is the story that we keep telling ourselves? How is it that we're making meaning within ourselves and amongst each other 
And if the myth is breaking down and the myth of today by all expert testimonial is consumerism. So once you start transitioning out of this myth of consumerism and scientific materialism, then you have to say, well, what's coming in? It looks to me like the only way out is to go back to some of our more ancient technologies, such as we've been talking about and getting closer to the earth and working together and being responsible for our commitments to each other and using our genius instead of sending kids to schools where they're taught not how, how not to think and to do what they're told to do. We need to rehabilitate the education system so that children are brought to places and put in the hands of people that have achieved a high level of mastery in music or in dance or in the arts or in uh, the sciences or in all these different areas so that we do like the Russians do when kids are in, in Russia, when by the time children are about six years old, they put them through extensive testing to identify what sport that they have natural talent in. And then they allow those children to grow and develop in those sports because they've got all the physical and physiological markers that suggest they could be successful in those sports. So you don't take a volleyball player and put them into Olympic weightlifting. It'll never work. So if we, if we were to foster an education system and a parenting system with the intention of bringing the genius out of our children and cultivating that within about two generations, we would have all sorts of geniuses that could really contribute to the growth and development of a culture. And we would have had to rehabilitate the education system to teach kids how to think, not what to think. And ultimately, I think if we can all bring our genius forth, I tell people all the time, the best thing you can do right now is what you love to do. If you love to sing, sing some truth. If you love to dance, dance a good story and inspire the rest of us. If you're a writer, write about what is really important to you from your heart. Do whatever it is that you do well, that you can do as a gift to the world, and then you're doing something meaningful. So my question is, where do you think we're at with regard to this myth transition? I speak about myth quite a bit. I, I, I've studied for decades the work of Joseph Campbell. And as you saw in, in Plandemic 2, I, I ended the movie with um, an observation of the myths that we share uh, repeatedly in, in our iconic movies. The, the myth of, of um, the, the common storyline that has the reluctant hero that's brought to his or her knees as they face the dragon the challenge of their lifetime uh, and and is brought to that point of where it appears that they've been defeated and that they uh, suddenly summon the courage to realize that they are the one the forces within all these you know powerful lines that we'll never forget as told through the scripts of these iconic movies and you know that that to me is where we are as a culture right now as a global culture is is at that point of of being having the, the, the shit kicked out of us and being at a, a place of um, of feeling defeated, but also at the same time waking up to remember who and what we really are, waking up to remember that that hero we've been searching for, that savior, that that politician we've been trying to vote into office so they could make our lives better, isn't coming. No. And so what's you know it, it's it's us and the dragon. And neither and is Jesus, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever it is and how we find it, um, you know, is, is, uh, I have a profound new, uh, love and appreciation for those who have found some sense of God, 
um, because I'm I'm recognizing that everybody's on the front line with me. The ones that are there, the ones that are there, bright-eyed and 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 incredibly powerful because they're 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 envisioning the best outcome for all humanity. Uh, they all have some sense of a connection with the God of their of their choice, and and so that that is something for us to really look. You know, we've been systematically pulled away our the umbilical cord between us and our and the, the mother our planet has been severed and our umbilical cord from you know the the father has been been severed and I, you know i'm always careful to name that because i i always want to be inclusive because i've, I've learned a lot from world religions i've you know studied uh the majority of them and the first religion that i, I really connected it with was was buddhism yes. and Taoism and 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 now much more connecting with the teachings of Christ, um, not the religion itself. No, uh, that, the teachings. That, 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 but but the, the but the purest teachings of Christ consciousness um, is is a very profound and beautiful thing to to be part of. I love Symbiotica's products, as you all know. I share them as often as I can because they work and they're made of the best quality resources you can get. And Symbiotica has just come out with a new liposomal activated charcoal that has many amazing benefits. Sherveen, let us know what is the power, the potency, and the use of liposomal activated charcoal. Paul, this was an exciting one for us because, as you know, we're from the islands of Hawaii. And charcoal is really big over there in terms of detoxification. We make ours using coconuts. And this product's the first time it's ever been in a liposomal form, meaning it's protected to make it all the way down into the gastrointestinal area. And then it really starts taking on its action. Anyone that's got anything dealing with candida overgrowth, exposures to mold, radiation, pesticides, pharmaceutical residues, an overly acidic body... This is a very quick, easy way to provide a rapid solution to any of those issues. If you're dealing with bloating, anything like that, the way charcoal works, it's not an absorber that most people think. It's an adsorber. It's an electrical charge. So it pulls in anything that does not belong in the body into the charcoal and then evacuates and eliminates out. This is one of our top sellers. The reviews on it are incredible. I can't wait for anyone who hasn't used it to try it and just let us know their feedback exciting so if you want to get your liposomal activated charcoal go to c-y-m-b-i-o-t-i-k-a.com that's symbiotica.com and on checkout use the code capital c capital h capital e capital k 15 to get your 15 percent discount and while you're there check out all the amazing symbiotica products because your discount applies across the board enjoy back onto your question regarding mythologies you know, we can learn a lot from the stories that we've been telling each other, uh, from the writings on the cave walls to the campfires, and to understand that there's a com- the commonality in all of these stories. And I, I believe that um, that these stories, even though they were stories told in the past, for, you know, back in the cradle of civilization, the beginning of man, basically, um, they're stories from the future. Um, I, I have come to this place of realizing that everything that we create, everything that we innovate, every story that we tell is us trying to understand our future. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So in the same way that an architect will have a vision of a building and they first take that vision to a, 
a, some form of a, a paper draft and they draw it and they they do all the mathematics and, and working out the, the the size and structure and and and, and you know, structural safety of the building. Then they create a model, uh, a miniature of of the building, and then they create the building. Um, in a, in a very similar way, I've I've come to this conclusion that all of our innovations are are these blueprints and these models for us to understand ourselves on a deeper level. So take, for instance, the, the personal computer. When we all first received our personal computer, you know, it was basically a paperweight. It was a word processor that, that did very little, but it was still very exciting. And it, but it could only do what, what the factory had installed on it. And we might be able to get a floppy disk and put a new program in a, and, and make it do a little bit more, but they were very limited to what they could actually process. And then we created this thing we call the internet, where we plug in that, that simple little computer, that desktop computer, and it becomes a supercomputer. And it's connected to infinite intelligence. Um, the tiniest of little laptops. My son has a tiny little laptop Air, you know, MacBook Air. But that little, it doesn't matter the size of the computer anymore because now it's tapped in to this open source shared information. And I, I believe through you know, very deep ceremonial medicine work and spiritual work and being with indigenous cultures and understanding where they draw their intelligence from, I believe that there's a, a, a consistent, constant broadcast of nature that informs all of the plant life, all of the insects and animals to do what they do. It's the reason that a baby born, a newborn baby deer can pop out of the womb and stand up and walk. It's the reason that a, a, a thousand birds can fly in absolute unison and turn on the dime at the same time as if they're one organism. Um, what those animals and insects and, and plant life are listening to is the very thing that we have shut out systematically and by design. We've shut out our connection to that broadcast, that, that infinite intelligence that is always available for us. We call it our intuition or, 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 or you know, our heart, you know, whatever it might be. But that's what we have to come back into. And it's one of the reasons that, that a, a, a lot of the greatest teachings will involve some form of meditation. Yes. People that don't understand meditation don't understand. They're just like, what, what good if I sit for 20 minutes a day, you know, I'm doing nothing. So we're all programmed that we always have to be doing something. We have to be in motion. But that stillness, that silence, is it, to do that regularly is what allows the brain to take a rest and for this broadcast to come in. And that's why so many people receive visions and clarity and guidance from God and beyond when they meditate because they need the brain to quiet down just enough, this busy, overactive you know, machine within our skulls to just settle long enough so we can receive the broadcast, the download or whatever you know our spiritual communities call it this week. Um, and, and that's what we need to do more of because that has the potential. Um, and, and so back, back on my, my theory is that we created the internet for us to understand our in interconnectivity and the potential we have. You know, that's the next stage. The personal computer was us trying to figure out the human mind. And then it was like, well, what happens when we bypass the mind and now it's plugged into the global mind? What happens now? We suddenly, I think that's the thing that will eventually heal and save and help e mankind evolve is when we were, we no longer need to listen to 
the, the politicians and all these people that are constantly lying to us and giving us false data, but we're tapped into um, a source. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that my wife and I led ayahuasca ceremonies. I, we hosted, we didn't lead them, but we hosted a Peruvian shaman for seven years in our home. And we would do ceremonies every, every month or every other month. And, and we would do big ceremonies, 50, 60 people at a time. And we brought in a lot of very diverse people. Uh, the, the goal was to bring in people who have influence in the world. So we brought in you know, very famous musicians and act and actors and 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 politicians and policymakers and and at the end of these ceremonies, everyone shares their experience. And you can learn a lot from those from those we call them sheremonies. Yeah. You can learn a lot from those because you know there's a shared common experience in all of my experiences of watching thousands of people go through these this process. Never once did I hear anyone come in, come out of it with the insight that we're all disconnected. Never. It's the opposite. It's everyone waking up to, I just got that I'm one with everything. That hurting you is hurting me, and and killing anything is killing the human or, the organism of life. And and I got how divine everything is unfolded in my life, and that nothing has happened to me, but it's happened for me. Um, and I've just created stories about what's happened and that's what I need to shed so I can celebrate my unique experience and all the pain that I've, that I've endured that has really helped shape my, ma the masterpiece that is me. Like this is, this is what people share every time, uh, yes. their own version of it, regardless of the language. I've been all over the world with this work and, and, and I've worked with tribes who have never had the medicine before and yet they still have this sh same shared experience. It's kind of the the core human experience, and, and there's a lot to learn from that. Oh, absolutely. And just to sort of go back one step, when I mentioned Jesus isn't coming back, I'm talking about the Jesus of corporate religion. Yeah, I'm not talking about. So. I'm not talking about the real Jesus. Even though there's no tangible evidence that Jesus was here, there's also no tangible evidence that Lao Tzu and many others were here. But that doesn't make any difference. Because I've ran into so much problems regarding Jesus in people's health issues and studied world religion extensively, one of the things I do is I always look words up in a dictionary to get their actual meaning. And if you look in Charles Fillmore's Christian Metaphysical Dictionary, under the word Christ, he makes it very clear. Christ is not a name. It's a title. It means one who is united with all. That's Christ. Yeah. And that very experience of Christ means that you are everyone. You, just exactly what you just said is the actual teachings of Christ. And as someone once said, if Jesus Christ was here and pulled over by the cops, his driver's license would not say Jesus Christ. That would be like having Jesus CEO on your license. Christ is yeah. actually a symbol that means you have figured out who and what you really are, and you should be aware that if you figured it out, you also exemplify that by the choices, beliefs, behaviors, and actions, because the way you live would be well, if emulated by all, because you are conscious of who and what you really are. And that's what's missing in corporate religion is the truth of the teachings, whether it be Christianity, Islam, Judaism, or any of them. And ultimately, I think, as I was alluding to earlier, we're at the point now where we all need each other. We need each other's 
skills. We need each other's resources and we need each other's help. So ultimately, this return back to um, being responsible to each other and responsible to ourselves is the only way forward or I, I can't see how we're going to get out of it for the same reasons that the elders of tribes realized if you couldn't get young people to adulthood, then you had to get rid of them because you can't carry people that aren't contributing. It's just not possible. I was raised by a father who made it very clear that you either got your work done and contributed or you didn't get to eat. And it was a tough upbringing and it was very painful at times. But as mean and, and tough as the man was, he taught me to be an adult and he taught me to fulfill my obligations to the family and to the farm and to the animals and the plants. And the rule was, you don't eat until the animals and the plants are fed and watered. And if you ever get caught doing it, you might get your teeth knocked out. And so these... These things sound real hard to a lot of people today, but the reality of it is I'm not promoting teeth getting knocked out, but I'm promoting that you can't teach children responsibility if you don't exemplify it to them. And all the psychological studies make it clear we have a world largely full of children and adult bodies that are deferring responsibility for big choices to somebody they don't know wearing a suit somewhere calling themselves a politician or some kind of an official, and clearly that's not working. So I think the only way we can go is we got to get back down to basics and we've got to get really clear on what it means to be an adult in a society or in a culture or in a family or in a tribe and get clear on what it is that we want to do with our heart so that we can go contribute each day in ways that are meaningful to us as individuals, but also meaningful to the tribe or to the people. Well, you brought up some wonderful points there, points that I'm very passionate about, particularly when it comes to, to, to fathering. Uh, I'm, I'm a, a father of a six-year-old and a nine-year-old boy. And um, for the first three or four years of my first son's life, my, my wife and I tried. We read all the conscious parenting books. And, you know, I, 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 I work with a lot of the people that write those books. So we picked up a lot of direct tips from the authors of those books, and and we did our best to to implement this kind of new age parenting style. It felt good at the time. It, it sounded right. It felt compassionate, which is the lure and also problem with a, a, a lot of the ideologies that are being passed down to all of us right now. Is they all feel right? You know, Black Lives Matter feels great. Like I want to get on the front line for that right now. Um, but after, when I study the organization and what it's really about and what it's causing, it's a whole different reality. Yes. Um, and so, but uh, on, in terms of, of parenting, we tried this with my son and I started to notice that there was this, I was, I, I would observe this not only in my, my son, but in my, the, my son's little friends that started, you know, became old enough to have play dates and kids would come over and we start, started to know their parents and, and we'd have dinners and everyone's trying to manage the kids as the adults are trying to talk. And I could observe all the different parenting styles around us. And I realized that, that in my kind of spiritual community that, that we once lived in, where everyone was a yoga meditation community and everyone was working on this, you know, conscious parenting thing. Uh, I noticed that all the, all the fathers were emasculated. All the fathers were trying to play the role of mother. Uh, they had been 
they had bought this thing, which, which is true. Uh, there's truth in everything. So, so there, it's true, but we have a tendency to take things to the extreme. Extremism is, is a real issue that we have on this planet. And so we, we hear that, oh, that, you know, dads have been like your dad. So we try to compensate and go, you know, we can't go there anymore. Now we have to be soft and loving. And, and that is true. But, but that's not all we're meant to be. Um, once I got that, I am meant to be both. I, there's part of your dad in me. Yes, my he's in me too. I have yeah. to carefully manage him. But I have a four-year-old, a fifteen-month-old, and a forty-one-year-old. Uh huh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of an age gap there. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I had a surprise at fifty-four, but you know, I study conscious parenting and all that stuff too. But I can tell you. My son, Mana, can find the edge of all that, and he's very intelligent, and he knows how to work the angles. I have two wives. He knows how to work each one of them. He knows how to work me. And sometimes I just have to lay the law down and let him know. I'll give you an example. Last night, I was having dinner with a client, and he kept coming up behind me and putting me in a, a chokehold. And I was eating food, and he was squashing my Adam's apple, and he likes to play rough. And I asked him politely, Four times, Mana, please don't do that to Daddy. I'm trying to eat, and it hurts. I said, remember, Daddy told you, don't do things to anybody that you don't want them to do to you. Well, finally, on the fifth time, when he choked me so hard I had water coming out of my eyes, I reached across with my left hand and whacked him on the head, not hard enough to hurt him, but hard enough to let him know you're fooling with the bull and you've got to realize there's consequences, and he ran off cried some alligator tears but he came back and he behaved for the rest of the afternoon yeah and there you know you you're right you you there's a certain point where you have to lay down the law and reinforce it and the goal is to find that edge where you make sure the point gets across but you don't do unnecessary damage yeah that's right that that's right that that's exactly the insight that i got there was a point when i like i said my son was probably three and a half and I'm, I'm, I'm observing all of his friends that are coming to visit. I'm observing, observing how they interact with their parents. And I'm realizing, like, these kids, these little kids that don't even weigh 30 pounds are running our lives. Yes. And, and we can't have a conversation. We have to say things over and over and over. We're, we're trying and, you know, we're doing the, I see that you're angry and I understand that you wanted that. And how does that feel? And there's great, there's a group. There's part of that is great to teach them emotional literacy, but at what point do you give them a whack on the head? Right, like I when uh, you got tears of, coming out of your eyes and you can't breathe yeah. or swallow. <laughs> and and a, a lot of people will will react to that and have a real issue with that. But but I I think that I just ask them to to, to, to listen because we love our children and we're, we're no one wants to hurt our children. But in preparation for the real world. Sometimes it takes an attitude adjustment. Sometimes it takes a real like, hey, this is what it feels like when you're hurting other people. And and you need to understand that there's repercussions to that behavior. And if I don't teach you, if the fathers don't teach them, if the mothers don't teach them, they're going to learn it somewhere. And, and if they learn it out in the real world, it could be fatal. And or they so, end up in jail. So, or they, exactly. And so, you know, I I have... The, the closest, most unbelievably intimate and beautiful relationships with my son that I could ever, ever dream of. 
And one of the reasons is because I took that stand and I dropped all that stuff we were learning. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go for my instincts. I'm a father. I was born to be this way. If a deer can pop out of a womb and stand up and walk, damn it, I can, I can father this child. And I don't need a bunch of outside support. I'm going to do it from the heart. I'm going to do it consciously. I'm not going to do it out of reaction. I'm not going to bring my, my rage and frustrations from the day and take that out of my child. It's going to be clean, but it's going to be what it needs to be in the moment. And I had to have a talk with my wife because in the beginning, she'd be like, she would step in and kind of do the defending, honey, that's, yeah. hey, don't, you know, and I would, I finally said, let me father. Yeah. Trust me and let me do this. I let you mother. Yes. And I love the way you mother, but I, I'm not satisfied with the way things are going. And I'll be damned if I'm going to have a 30 pound human rule my life and cause, you know, to me to be in a state of frustration half of my every single day. I'm, I'm done with it. I'm over it. Yeah. And let me try something new. And so I did. Um, and it started actually with my, my son had a massive uh, uh, monster truck collection. And one day he did something like three times. I told him not to do it. And it was kind of like, well, there's no consequences, whatever. A timeout just means I sit here for a minute and then I'm done, whatever. Yeah. That wasn't working. And so I finally went, I'm done. Come here, bud. And I put his favorite monster trucks in the sink and i grabbed a hammer and i crushed him that's a nice wake up and he was like and i said from now on because i understand that you put more care into these little objects than you do respecting you know me and your mom and all of that so from now on we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take care of it with these these things that you consider precious because this is what happens in life you behave this way you lose things yes this is the way our life is set up and, and I learned something really powerful from this, Paul, because, um, and this is extended to other friends. Now, as my sons got older, they, they had friends that would come over and some of these friends were just like, you could, one of them, I, I loved his father. He was so sweet, but God, this guy had no balls. Yeah. And, and this kid would come to my house and I would say, um, please don't do that. And he'd look at me and do it. And I'd be like, don't test me, man. I mean, I'm, I'm saying you're in my house. No, don't do that. And he'd go, bam. And so one day I let loose on this kid and I said, you know, whatever. He can tell his fa father, come over here and I'll talk face to face with the father. But, but this, 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 this is not going to fly anymore. And I, 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 I laid into him loud and strong and gave him a talk that then calmed down and became a talk about respect and integrity and what it is to be a man. And he was, you know, eight years old. And, um, and you know, his mom came and picked him up. He left. The next week he came over and the mom and dad were at the door. I look in the, and I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> bring it, whatever. I opened the door and the kid bolted to me and hugged me with all of his might. Yeah, he finally found a man he could relate to. And, and his mom and dad go, wow, he doesn't do that with anyone. And from that moment forward, I had such a beautiful relationship with that kid because what did he get? And this is one thing that's missing and why our, uh, so much of our youth end up in trouble. He felt safe. When a child knows that they can manipulate the two adults in their life that are supposed to have authorities over them, they're left with the question, well, who's going to protect me then? If I'm, strong, if I'm stronger than these two people who brought me into this world, there's no one here that, that, that's going to protect me. 
But when I stood up for that kid and said, this is where it stops here. If you ever want to come over here again, here are my rules. And you listen to them. He, that laying that boundary had him go, oh, this guy doesn't mess around. And this is the guy that will protect me. And from that moment forward, we had, I mean, he was so respectful. He said, excuse me, Mickey, is it okay if we have another popsicle? Is it? I'm like, wow. Yeah. You know, and, and the same thing happened with my children where once, once I dropped all that trying to be the mother and I went, let me be the father. And I'm also going to be incredibly intimate and loving and, and, and nurturing and cuddle with my children and kiss them and love them and all of that. That's what I do 99% of the time. But when they mess up, they're going to know it's not okay. And now I have two incredibly behaved, grateful, happy, intelligent, emotionally literate young men who everywhere we go, every party, people come up and they go, how do you do it? You know, and I'll tell fathers, I said, by being a father. Yes. You know, there's a thing called tough love. And, and the, the reality of it is a lot of the soft love that people are peddling today actually does not prepare kids for the world. And it is actually a cop out on the challenge and responsibility of parenting. And I believe this is one of the main reasons we have so many problems today with all the teenage suicides and abuse of yeah, Facebook games, because people are not parenting. They're putting their kids into trance states for hours and hours at a time, and they're being brainwashed and programmed and babysat by the very people that we started this podcast being concerned about and the influence they have on the world. But, you know, because we're getting late in the show and you don't have a lot of time, I want to just close by saying, Mickey, I'd like you and everybody to consider that what you just said about children is exactly the issue we've got in the public. 100%. 100%. And it's an issue, Paul, that has become very deadly because now we have these young people in Portland and other places that are throwing Molotov cocktails into police cars and then wondering and screaming and crying in disbelief that they're being arrested. Like they're, they're so unprepared for the real world that they think they can do that and not face a felony charge. And now these poor kids, 21 years old, are facing 10 years in federal prison and they're when you see them talk and do interviews, they, they, they can't believe. They're like, "But, but my dad's a lawyer. My, I can't." And it's like, "What does that? What does that have to do with the act that you just committed? You can't. That's that's you're you're so unprepared to deal with the real world that you you made a choice that could kill people. And yes. and you be and, and and the consequences is your freedom is now gone. And so you know the the next film that I'm creating is tentatively called American Family. And it will stop the indoctrination of our children worldwide because I see this as the greatest threat we have in our world right now. We have these organizations with all these benevolent uh, brand, you know, brandings and titles that, that anyone with a heart could, you know, wants to support. We want to support people of color and we want to support, you know, anything that helps us love our environment better. But these organizations, the Sunrise Movement, you know, um, uh, Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, they're infiltrating our curriculums under the guise of helping people of color, under the guise of environmental, you know, uh, loving the environment. Um, but like every political policy, if you get down to the, to the fine print, ultimately they're teaching children to hate their country, to hate each other, to be victims, to blame everyone for their horrible oppressed life, even though, you know, they're, they're anything but oppressed. They're, and, and it's pulling them away from gratitude. Gratitude is such an incredibly critical element 
to living a good life. And when I'm on the road with these politicians and I'm interviewing people at each stop in these nations and I'm listening to young people who are driving a nicer car, a nicer car than I have, talking about being being oppressed, you know, it's like, where did you get this idea? I've been to nations where people are oppressed. And if you think you're, you know, you're oppressed, oppressed by, and you're driving an $80,000, $100,000, you know, Tesla, you know, it's like, you need to wake up. That's not reality. And, and that doesn't mean because you're driving a nice car that all your life is perfect, but you need to know what oppression is. And you might have some, some, um, some, you know, parental issues or whatever you're dealing with at home or a, a tough life in your own way. A lot of people with money uh, have, have the same struggles that people have at the very bottom. Um, but, but let's get the narrative straight. Let, let's, let's point the finger in the right place and, and take some personal responsibility for how we got there. Because, uh, you know, I see a generation of people that are looking for excuses to blame other people for their, the, for their circumstance. And we need to, we need to reverse that. Everything is inverted right now. You know, everything is inverted. The people that we think are good, uh, are often the, the people that are not. The policies that we think will help and save uh, will only uh, harm and hurt. Um, and, and so it's, we have to start at looking at life through a very critical lens and questioning everything, particularly every mainstream narrative. Absolutely. And, you know, just to go back to the example you gave with when the child says, my dad's a lawyer. I would just add, yes, your father's a, your dad's a lawyer, but he hasn't been a father or you wouldn't be in this trouble right now. And that goes right back to the issue of our myth of capitalism and consumerism because it's caught adults on a wheel of constantly trying to make money because they're so invaded by predatory lending and manipulation and addictive spending patterns that have been programmed right into them that they actually don't have time to live. They don't have time to be still. They don't have time to meditate. They don't have time to pay attention to where their food's coming from. They often don't have time to sleep because by the time they get home from doing a job they don't like, they have to drug themselves and watch TV to wind down till midnight or one in the morning. And so they start winding down and burning down. And anybody with children doing that never has the energy to effectively parent. So ultimately consumerism and capitalism has destroyed the very fabric of our culture and you couple that with corporate religion and you've got another level of problem and so i would my closing statement is we in my observation are in the throes of our own self-generated rite of passage and there is going to be pain and there is going to be loss and there is going to be fear but whatever comes out the other side is going to be something that can endure the test of a clash of myths. And only a myth that is in harmony with the needs of this planet will get us to the other side. So it takes us right back to know where your food's coming from, know where your water's coming from. Don't let big corporations take your food or your water or your personal rights to your blood, your family, your body away from you. And there's a time to stand up and fight. And there's things we've got to stand up and fight for. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And people like you and I that put ourselves at risk by telling the truth often have to be the first ones. But I say I'd rather die for freedom than 
die a life of dullness, deadness, passivity, and being drugged and programmed to being something that's not even human. Hello, everybody. I'm sorry for the abrupt cutoff. Unfortunately, Mickey Willis and I were both having technical issues, and we got cut off several times and had to reconnect. So if there's little areas in the video where it seems choppy, that's why. And then with all the disruptions, we lost time. But Mickey Willis and I are scheduled to do a follow-up interview. So if you enjoyed the dialogue and the very important topics we were discussing, fear not, we'll be back with more. I think it's extremely important. I'm very grateful for Mickey Willis. And I think all of us need to surround the wise elders of our community that are sacrificing a lot to give us the truth right now and educate us as to what's really going on and where we're losing our freedoms and our rights to ourselves and, and our own sovereignty and our freedom of speech so that we can work together collectively to maintain a democracy and contribute to creating the solutions that we all need to create so that we have sustainability and that our children have a chance of living a healthy life and enjoying the kinds of freedoms that we've all enjoyed. So thank you for joining Mickey and I, and I look forward to sharing more with you and with Mickey Willis very soon. So stay tuned to Living 4D with Paul Check. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Mickey Willis. You can watch the Plandemic 1 and 2 films at plandemicseries.com. Connect with Mickey via Facebook at mickey.willis or on Instagram at mickeyallenwillis. Mickey Willis is spelt M-I-K-K-I-W-I-L-L-I-S. Check out his YouTube channel for his Elevate Family project at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Mickey Willis. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. And remember, you can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's new media site, chikiva.com. 